Hello, The Junk Show is back June 9th at the Copper Still. I'll be doing some stand-up starting in late July in Austin, Texas, and then moving on to a bunch of places, San Francisco, Sacramento, Portland, Minneapolis, a number of other spots in between. Check out davidhunsberger.com for some ticket links and come out and see some live stand-up comedy. All right, let's get into the chat and continue with part two with Eric Krug. Okay, so I did tease it a little bit or we kind of touched on it a few times like the civil war the two final characters at play in that battle that emerged from you could potentially say dozens of disagreements or points of conflict or whatever would be slavery anti-slavery mm. then say we're looking at a world war three possibility and we've got all of our characters we've got Christianity versus those who are not. People that believe in climate change people versus people who don't. People who believe in fiscally responsible, um, conservative sort of economic policy, trickle-down stuff. So, and then you have the 1% versus the 99%. You've got um, pro-life versus pro-choice. You've And on and on. You build out all these things where like you've got your QAnon crazy people way out there on this side. And you've got your you know red hat wearing, like, I just support them no matter what, people. <laughs> and then you've got kind of... Uh, whoever else that would represent on the other side that but in the middle is kind of everyone else and so d- how does that all can can any two po- potentially war causing agents come out of that that are undeniably like this side versus this side i don't see it i mean i don't see any recipe for a civil war in the current climate i would see something more like the 60s where you just had a lot of like street violence and protests and clashes and same with the early 20th century in the progressive era you had a lot of terrorism yeah. Um, you can maybe, I think, go back to that. But, like, you know, in, in Germany and Italy, the street battles led to an overthrow. I don't really see anything like that. I think it would be more like those other eras where you had these acts of violence, but most of the people still kept their heads, even though it got pretty heated. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people thought that we were on the brink of a revolution in the 60s, and it just, you know, eventually it calmed down. And so I think it would be more like that. Like I said, the climate change thing for me is that depleting of resources where water and food become hard to get at a time when populations, you know, cause populations always growing. So it's going to be at the highest level it's ever been. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be, cause I mean, I read a lot of books on like genocides and war and starvation. There's, you know, there's one great quote from a book uh, by a guy who was in a North Korean gulag and I'm paraphrasing it, but he basically said, I used to think there was a difference between man and animal. And I now realize the only difference is that a woman would take food from her child. If she was starving enough, I don't think an animal would. <laughs> And, uh, and it's like when we maybe get, that person hasn't read The Grapes of Wrath <laughs> <laughs> a fictional story yeah you might, I mean it might be a little too bleak but it, it's just a sort of uh, an acknowledgement of like when people are starving it's you know the desperation level yeah will kind of make you go along with anything and I think that if climate change creates that environment because there's two combinations of things that worry me like going back to that sort of agrarian to manufacturing, manufacturing to technology, we're creating a world with technology where we're going to have a higher quality of life than we've ever had, but only a few people can really participate in it because the number of jobs for technology, they're going to be better jobs and they're going to give you a better quality of life, but only there's not that many of them. Whereas like manufacturing can employ a bunch of people because you need a hundred slave laborers, (laughs) wage slavery to just like keep it going. So you're going to have all these people that don't really get to participate in this and you're going to create a hugely disenchanted class and then you're going to take away that disenchanted class's food and water is going to be the perfect recipe for somebody to come along. Because like in the World War II era, I mean, that's what Hitler's whole philosophy was. Lebensraum was conquering the East. So we have like living space and we have like resources and food. That was the way you took care of your people was you just conquered territory and that provided for the people. We're going to get back to that once you start running out of shit. And I think like that's... When the self-driving cars show up and 10 million or however many it is, Uber drivers around the world yeah. are suddenly just out on the streets digging through recycling bins, then that low... That's the lowest level of the economy is, oh, you're throwing this away? 
maybe I can make something of it. Maybe I can take this <laughs> and get 10 cents. And they got to hustle. You see people with like bags and shopping carts full of stuff to go push it two miles and make $8 and go, all right, well, I ate today and do that the next. Now that becomes saturated with competition. Whew. Yeah. And I mean, like millennials complain that they're going to be the first generation that can't do as well as their parents. But like they're not interested in getting manufacturing jobs. Most of those people that are talking about that, they want those like nice jobs, those nice yeah. But it's like, listen, there's not going to be that many of them. So yeah. I mean, somebody's going to get screwed in this. And when those people get disenchanted, if somebody comes along and be like, "I'll take care of you," all we got to do is go invade uh, Country X over here. And create, yeah. We just got to go invade Fredonia. Canada's got plenty of livable space. There's no <laughs> wall. Let's go up there and set up shop. And then people start going, "Yeah, you know what? Canada is the only." 12% of it is populated as far well, as landmass. And it doesn't even have to start here. Like, I mean, it could start in the Middle East. I mean, I feel like Saudi Arabia and Iran have been toying with the idea of starting a world war for a long time. <laughs> and and once they do, all the proxies get dragged into it. I mean, it could be like a World War One situation where Russia is tied to Iran, so they back them, and then we're tied to Saudi Arabia, so we back them, and then this country goes over here, and this country goes over here, and the next thing you know, everybody's just like, oh, no, how did this happen? <laughs> Let me give you three scenarios and and maybe talk through which you think are the most and least likely. One, uh, these Game of Thrones characters, be they climate change, religion, pro-life, pro-choice, religion versus other economics, 1%, whatever they are in the United States, finally single out to very, to very opposing sides that are clearly defined. I'm on this mm. side, no on this side. Maybe it's guns, no, no guns. That was conflict number one, where there is a, an essentially a civil war among Americans. Oh, Option among two, Americans, um, right. just in a, yeah, just in the United States. Option two is there is a foreign threat, whether it is mm-hmm. uh, from anywhere, flown in, or it's people right under our nose. Maybe Mexico, just the the cartels and everything gets so terrible. There's an influx that way, and now there's a battle. We don't have time to worry about our fight. We got to fight off whoever's coming at us. The Chinese, yeah. the somewhere from somewhere else. This seems highly unlikely. The yeah. third option is a Mad Max scenario where climate change <laughs> gets real crazy real quickly, and it's like you, I don't think it'll be quick though. I think it'd be slow. That's why I think it would probably happen in a country that was a little less well off, and then we would just get dragged into it. You're saying the climate change thing would be s- slow and affect somewhere else, and then we'd get dragged in. Yeah, that's what I would think. Just because I don't think it's going to happen quick enough to like take a first world power like us but we're sitting on first. a crazy fault line here and or say that uh, a volcano goes off that throws a bunch of ash into and destroys the opportunity for agriculture I'm not getting enough sunshine on the entire midwest if it, if it happened that quickly then yeah i mean everybody's gonna go nuts at the same time <laughs> i'm just saying i have a hard time that's the one place where i disagree with like people on the left about climate change i do think they try to over exaggerate it because they're frustrated by the fact that no one's listening yeah and i mean that was a complaint i don't remember what the report was it was a un report but there was one scientist on there who like kind of went public dissenting and he was like i'm not dissenting with our findings you know i agree with our findings but i don't like the way they phrased it they tried to phrase it in doom and gloom because yeah. they're frustrated that uh-huh. people are playing political games with it but now they're playing political games with it so i mean because i've tried real hard to hear differing voices and and try to give like credibility to the thing you know i mean i feel like the consensus is pretty wide but i don't think there's as much of a consensus on how dramatic the effects will be like most of what i've heard seems to be they think it's be like a two degree celsius change by toward the end of the century but that could go up or down and and also that two degrees celsius is very significant well like florida losing you know acres and acres or you know, the sea level rising there two feet by like 2040 yeah. has been a projection i've seen we're like well that would dramatically change the landscape down there well the other thing about climate change that interests me is when i listen to the debates on it and i don't hear anybody say how we cure it <laughs> because everybody like even people on the right tend to say yeah it's real but it's not man-made it's like so you still acknowledge it's happening and people on the left are like yeah we can like deplete all these fossil fuel burnings and stuff and that'll slow it down it's like yeah but you can't stop it yeah. so you can slow it down but you can't stop it so really colonizing mars is our only hope <laughs> that's pretty much it we don't have any other choice because like otherwise even if we slow it down you're, it's still gonna happen right so what are we gonna do i think it's like a family that has experienced a house burning down where maybe they knew like we always talked about the cord for that washing machine and we never did anything and sure enough it got us and then we could sit here and bicker about it or we can just appreciate how long we had that nice house <laughs> 
and how we can get to work <laughs> collecting cans or whatever we're doing. I think that's yeah. the nature of humanity. When I'm my most cynical, I'll go, I think that'll be the outlook everyone will have is just like, you know, the natural state of earth. Do we know if we could watch from well, those of us, one? those of us that like dystopia will be fine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think we all like the resources we have with what we have and even fossil fuels that we're all pretty dependent on, even if yeah. we really desperately wish we were not, you know, if you're living like Ed Bagley Jr., your quality of life currently isn't great, but it, maybe it's not bad. Maybe it's not even diminished. You have solar panels and you're like off grid living Potentially, you're enjoying life and going, okay, once this whatever happens, happens, I'm still going to be like this, so my quality of life isn't going to change. For the most, for the rest of us, mostly, it's going to be a step down to like, yeah, yeah. damn, I love when I didn't have to go like pump my own water. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I, I just started watching that uh, HBO Chernobyl series yesterday, oh, yeah. and I'm one of those people that thinks like nuclear power would be a good way to combat climate change. I'm like, well, now no one's going to want to fucking do it after this thing. Even yeah. I was like, oh, fuck that. <laughs> like, I'm, not, I'm not for nuclear power anymore. Yeah. It's I mean, so I know odd. that's a rare instance, but it's like, it's scary as hell it now. It takes one, yeah. But it's, I, I just don't see, because, you know, people who, again, Green New Deal type people i'm just like listen we don't clean energy can't provide the amount of power we use and i don't think you guys are going to stop watching netflix using <laughs> air conditioning so if you're not unless you're willing to like dumb down your quality of life you're going to need something else and i feel like nuclear power is the only thing that could do it you know because yeah. clean it, i mean you gotta i think r&d is the most this is a weird thing too is um when Rex Tillerson got appointed Secretary of State, I just like to go and find out what these people are about. So I go do my C-SPAN thing where I go back and listen to old lectures with them. Right. The but, only person I've ever heard of that does that. <laughs> I got a bunch well, of C-SPAN lectures. All it's a, it's an, it can be really interesting because another one, and this is just a random example, but uh, on the war on terror, I when Iraq happened and later on I decided I wanted to just go down a rabbit hole and like, I want to listen to some panels on terrorism or terrorism experts and see what they were saying about Al-Qaeda before 9-11. And I was really surprised how many of them mentioned Saddam Hussein and, and, and indeed like Saddam connecting with Al Qaeda and that being a proliferation of weapons of mass destruction. I was like, oh, so they didn't invent this. This wasn't. And I realized like the more I learned about it, I was like, oh, so when people say like they started talking about Iraq right after 9-11, it's like, well, yeah, that's because people were already talking about it. Mm -hmm. And that's one of those things where kind of you lose sight of what it was actually like in the moment. And I think it's important to remember that it doesn't excuse it, but it's like it's more important to understand it. But um, yeah, just for not clarification there but like george w that period to you was more concerning because of the war aspect so it's well, yeah, interesting yes. to me that you can have that perspective where like that's inexcusable and terrible and yet like look at that facet of it and go okay like it wasn't well, i supported it initially but i supported it for my own reasons i've always been a big human rights person so like i always thought like people like saddam it's like yeah we always talk tough with them but we let them just get away with anything as long as they kill their own people if I they go always, into kuwait mm -hmm. then it's going to be a problem but as long as you're just killing iraqis nobody cares you know as long as putin kills russians that's fine but if he starts killing georgians or ukrainians now we got a problem yeah and that's to me like the change in the in the world order after world war ii from from hitler on it was like if you invade another country you're gonna be in trouble <laughs> but if you just want to kill your own people hey that's your business yeah and so i've always been a big proponent for interventionism because i get a little sick of us just sort of ignoring atrocities in-house you put um, what's your list of top five right now venezuela turkey of syria obviously it's got to be up there what, what? syria is always big yemen's big i mean that's that's huge right now but that's not really like an that's that's not the same as a trust that's just a war mm -hmm. um I don't know. I, I mean, I haven't been paying as close attention as he, I mean, North Korea is always kind of the top of the list because they're like the last country that still has concentration camps. And, you know, and they do, they've done medical experiments on their prisoners and stuff. I mean, they do like old school and World that War II era crap. weird propaganda, like watching oh, that place TV. Is, That's, I, cause I, I learned Korean for the first year I was in the Air Force and I honestly didn't know anything about Korea at the time. I, I knew there were two of them, but I didn't even know which was the bad one. <laughs> and, and then, like, you know, learning about that because I was such a huge, I was fascinated with the Holocaust as a teenager. And so, and I was fascinated particularly with like, how could people do this? Cause like very quickly, I was like, I feel like the real lesson here is not that the victims were people like you and me, but that the perpetrators were people like you and me. Mm -hmm. And so I've always kind of taken that to heart. And so when I found out like all this stuff about North Korea, I was like, I've never even heard about that. Why aren't we talking about this? We always say we're never going to forget. And there's a place that literally has freaking concentration camps. And yeah. we're just like, oh yeah, they're crazy. <laughs> they're out of control. <laughs> and I was like, they're letting millions of people die of starvation in the nineties. And it's like, can you tell me about it? Yeah. And do you feel like be, you know, your existence oscillates between a feeling of, 
oh, okay, we're in a modernized world. Even when you hear or go to a third world country or area, you're like, all right, they're loose around the edges, but they're working on it. Overall, as a country, they're doing okay. And then it flips from that to like, man, this whole world is constantly in a state of flux where there are things like Stalin kind of happening currently. Yeah, they're always We just are. assume like, well, we're all past that and everyone's like doing their best now. There's certainly not some atrocity being perpetrated by a maniac and then 10 years later you go how did i not know that yeah yeah i mean well like i grew up in the 90s and i was just like yeah i grew up in the 80s and 90s and that was like the easiest time ever but now i go back i'm like oh wait there was bosnia there was rwanda uh kosovo happened connected to like bosnia and stuff like that and i mean bosnia was like the worst genocide since world war ii in europe in particular and uh and rwanda was one of the worst ones in africa they have like one every week but that felt like that defined the 90s that like especially like Clinton was just always bombing these little 3-day operations. Yeah. Like, we just bombed the hell out of some brown people over there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and he and he got yelled at for trying to bomb Osama bin Laden because we thought <laughs> he was distracting us from his affair. And now we're all like we should have we should have laid off him. <laughs> we should probably let him do what he wanted. <laughs> uh, all the timing of everything. Like all the what a weird thing that you can't step out as a president and be like, "I know, I I am garbage. Let's get that out of the <laughs> <laughs> but just if you can just look past that for a moment guys guys for a second here this person's even worse when i when i got back from iraq in 2004 and we were at a really small shop so only like three of us deployed at a time um but like the next summer they were sending them to uzbekistan and i didn't get that deployment but i was like man i, I would refuse to go if they sent me to uzbekistan because it was a piece of crap country and we were doing the same thing we did with like saddam where we we're propping up a dictator and giving him all these resources and stuff mm-hmm. just because he's helping us now i'm like why do we keep doing this every single time we're always like 10 years later we're like whoops that guy <laughs> was bad and i'm like stop it I only- and they actually the andajan massacre happened that year and they and they uh closed the base so all the guys that were going to go didn't end up having to go and i I was like, see, mm-hmm. why were we doing that? <laughs> <laughs> I was like in stand up talking with military people, especially after the show. Yeah, I did. To too. get a, a perspective on like, because it's so often it's like, oh man, it's not what you think, or it's. You That's know. why I like Pete Buttigieg, actually. Uh, he's my early favorite, but I acknowledge that we're still a long way away. But, yeah. uh, but I, I particularly, I think I respond to him a lot on that level, too. Like, I feel like his experience in the military. It's kind of similar to mine in that it, it really is like a very diverse like i feel like a lot of people i talk to particularly like kids at school and stuff they think the military is just this macho culture but it's a very diverse yeah um just where people from all different walks of life get to kind of get together and and also that it's sort of having that sort of unified mission allows you to sort of talk about politics and stuff like that and not be as it's kind of like a family but a family that likes each other where you actually are like ah you know i may disagree with you but i'll I'll hear you out and it's like so i had much better political discussions in the military than i do outside the military with just regular people at the bar how does it come up though when you're like because i think yeah the the perspective from outside sometimes is worrisome that it is this you know you come from a family that flies flags and is very like you respect the flag god damn it and you're going to the military because it's the best thing and when you get there pay attention to your drill instructor and do what they say and then it kind of becomes this brainwashing like boot camp over and over do be a robot stand how you want you to stand and then you when you see that in movies and stuff you go like oh they just turned them into the to like a soldier that is kind of mindless that'll hold the gun and walk into where you want them to go but anytime you talk with military people especially like that have especially have seen combat they have plenty of opinions on like well i was against uzbekistan but here's why i went here's why you know yeah how would that be when you're talking with your friends about it where they'd go i see your point dude but here's why we have to go um Wait, wait, wait. Say that last part Like, when you were saying, like, if you had been deployed to a shitty country where you were kind of, like, propping up a dictator, you would have said, like, I'm not going. But likely you would have talked about that, like, you know, with your buddies or something. Oh, right, right, right. And there would have been Well, a lot of them don't. And also, a lot of them didn't have thoughts on it. They were like, oh, I don't care, Krug. It's a job. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, honestly, a lot of times I was the only one talking about this stuff. And he was like, stop using them big words, Krug. See, but that scares (laughs) me. Like, I want there to at least be one guy that can at least filter in this dissension. Well, and it's also it's also not always like what you would think. You'd think like, oh, these guys, they maybe they don't know a lot, so they just buy into the, like the budget. It's like, oh, I remember 
remember in Iraq, somebody had a bootleg copy of Fahrenheit 9-11 and they were like, see, they're lying to us. And I was like, you guys are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> or they were watching that one video that was supposed to be a missile hitting the Pentagon, but mm-hmm. it was very clearly the plane. And they're just yeah. like, oh, I don't know. It looks like a <laughs> missile to me. And I was like, I fucking shut up. <laughs> but you can make fun of each other for stuff like that. And it wasn't a big deal. But like, yeah, some people believed. I mean, it was very because I was there in the summer 2004. So the presidential election was happening. And it was like all the bathroom graffiti was political. And I was like, oh, God. It's just like, Carrie eats a dick sandwich, you know, Bush it, Bush it, tights turns in his butt. But he was in the military, which is crazy. <laughs> Even if his, like, his whole story was made up with the U-boat stuff, wasn't that turned out to be, like, inaccurate or parts Oh, of yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and it, there was anti-Bush and anti-Carrie stuff, like, oh, all over okay. the walls. Like, so it was, like, instead of them talking about, hey, call Cindy for a good time, it was just, like, anti-Bush, anti-Carrie, anti-Bush, anti-Carrie. And I was just like, oh, I can't wait for this election to be over. And I was like the one because I I started that election thinking I'm going to vote against Bush no matter who runs against him. And then as it got going, I was like, no, I can't do it. And so I just didn't vote. And uh, and South Park has a great episode about yeah, that. That was like sandwich. Yeah, and, and it was like it was like dude, yeah. That's when I got Giant back into douche. the show because I I saw that episode. And I was like, somebody else feels like me. Yeah, and it was like nice to know that I wasn't alone. Mm-hmm. And because I would have those debates in the ATOC uh, in Iraq, and the guys would be like arguing over politics. And there was this one guy who was just like, I don't really know a lot, so I don't think I should vote. And, and they were like, <laughs> You got to vote. It's the most important election that's ever been out there. And I was like, Don't listen to these fucking idiots. If you don't, you don't do. You do what you want to do. Not voting is a choice. I'm not voting it's a choice you don't let these and so i'm pressuring him too and we're all yelling in his ears like oh god <laughs> <laughs> but looking back because uh, it bugs me now when people say you know how especially with comedians how can you say that you isolate half of your audience as if it were like 50 50 100 of the voting yeah like, population voted it was half the population that could vote did vote and of that a certain percentage voted third party yeah so and when you by- take into account that like our our um the uh, the attendance I'm, I'm saying the wrong word but turnout. Might, the turnout the turnout is usually like maybe just over 50 percent if <laughs> yeah. that no president has ever gotten a majority of the people no not a single one not at all and when you lose the popular vote and then there's like a third party element involved and a certain percentage that voted and went i'm gonna regret this yeah when you only get two people picked by two parties out of the entire country do you really think it's like a choice selection for people or mm-hmm. do you think most of them are holding their nose and just being like like every i have two family members who really like Trump early on every other one of them said hey I don't like the guy but I'm gonna vote for him mm-hmm. like they don't and even still today they're just like they're, they're more okay with him than they were back then but even still they're just like yeah he's an idiot <laughs> oh well <laughs> <laughs> it is such a strange like my I like this guy Jay Inslee one is platform is like climate change stuff which I got to sit in on a shareholder meeting for a power company recently that was like you know uh, publicly owned mm-hmm. and so g- getting to hear people ask questions and talk about it it was fascinating yeah. people going like well I think we have you know the a lot of it had to do with an awareness of how we are treating the environment which I was surprised by because yeah. they're shareholders I thought they were just going to be like how do we make more money but they were like hey things are going well it's trending up the stock's valuable but are we doing our best to keep this this line clean are we looking out for our grandchildren which a lot of them are older so they yeah. had that in mind which I was it, it was uplifting to see that and also that there is a way to make money and do it in a sustainable way that is less gr- I just don't like how gross it looks I don't like yeah. when the earth just smells bad and you drive through an area and your eyes are watering like you I must, prefer you must love LA <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it looks like Fallout 4. We there. fly into it every time and are just like, we breathe that. I cannot believe that's what we... I mean, people yeah. here are trying to be as healthy as possible and like, look what we're breathing. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird to see somebody like jogging when there's just trash and people strewn on the side of the road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's ridiculous. But in, oh, he, Jay Inslee came out. He was the first one when the Muslim ban went into... A, or was at least attempted to go into effect. Yeah. He, prior to like feeling it out or seeing what anyone else was going to do, he just went yeah. called a press conference was like not in washington we're not doing that that's ridiculous i haven't heard a lot from him so maybe i should look into him more i i that to me that level of leadership when it wasn't cool to do it just based on principles there was a like your your old brethren the air force there was a story shortly thereafter where on the whiteboards outside of the dorm rooms i guess it's Mm -hmm. two people per room yeah someone wrote a a racial slur on one of the whiteboards and then the next day like the person in charge, I don't think it would be, it would say the corporal. I don't know what an Air Force guy would be. But no, they have a senior airman. Okay. So a senior airman uh, gives this press conference and it's just like, we don't stand for that. We're against that. If we're caught doing that, you'll be out of here. We're better than that, this yeah. place. And it was just like, 
that level well, they're still of making racist jokes when they're in totally <laughs> the fine race. totally but yeah. fine but, but like, yeah i don't under, it doesn't have to be public guys if you if you know a person and you can make those jokes with them then that's fine but like understand that other people like the you know that whole controversy that came out about like when they brought back the hbo talking funny clip of louis ck saying oh, the yeah, to chris yeah, rock yeah. Mm-hmm. and you know I one it's probably because it was Louis C.K. made it worse yeah. but also it's like well him and Chris Rock are good friends so I think he, he has that rapport with him where he can say that but not in front of a camera dude like if that you and Chris weird. Rock are just hanging out in a living room yeah. I'm sure that he knows that that's just a joke and you guys would be fine with each other but you gotta understand everyone else is watching it and they don't know that so just maybe don't Yeah, you know what I mean like it's it's just one of those things where it's like if you have friends who can make those kind of jokes with you and you let them get away with it they should know that if you're at a restaurant that they maybe shouldn't be making those jokes really loud or something and be like dude it's different yeah I'm, I'm uh, one of my basketball teams um these two kids became pretty good friends one white one black the white kids started saying the n-word Oof. to to our friend jamal and then all How of do us people were not so, know that that's because they, okay i have no idea and here's like i knew that as a kid <laughs> we and all, i didn't grow up in an enlightened pl- i grew up in kansas <laughs> well this is like northern nevada this isn't exactly the mecca of yeah but neither is uh, kansas yeah true <laughs> it was I mean, very bible but belt country maybe that, on some level like when you watch movies where people get along and you know learn that's to true i was a very pop culture kid so and I, you know i think i actually and this is one of the things where no, i know but here let me oh, finish sorry, that yeah, story sorry, go ahead. I remember that kid saying to the rest of us on the team, like, it's cool, it's fine if I say it. And we were all just, kind of, we were Seinfeld in that clip. We were just, our faces were like, ah, I don't know about that. And then yeah. looking at Jamal, who was just kind of indifferent, like, I like him, he's my friend. And therefore, I know when he's saying it, it's not out of malice, but we were all still like, I'd prefer if you, and our yeah. coach was black. And I remember when it came up, it was just kind of like, not around me. And we were all like, oh, thank God. Like, yeah. we just don't have to hear it. Here's the kicker. The white kid in that scenario, now a huge Trump supporter. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it kind of feels like there's a correlation. It yeah. feels like there was something there more than like this benevolent sort of, I just say it because it's just a word and it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. We were all like, ah, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, and also if you're saying it a lot, I mean, it's like. <laughs> Luckily for us, it wasn't a lot. It was almost like a um, we were you know mid practice, like on a water break. Guys, I have some news. I've decided to. <laughs> we were all like, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's uh, oh, what was I? Yeah, what was I gonna? Oh yeah, I was I was gonna say yeah. The um, it's it's one of those things where like, uh, and I'm gonna be careful about how I phrase my opinions, but just like diversity in Hollywood, how like sometimes it feels like they're just kind of hopping on a trend when it comes to like promoting things like feminism and movies and stuff like that. But there's also a part of me that realizes it can be important because I feel like in the nineties was definitely a time when gay representation was much more popular in like comedy and TV shows. And I think it definitely had an effect on me because I didn't, if I knew any gay people, I didn't know they were gay. I knew Ellen was gay well before the coming out thing. I also remember the show kind of declining. It had been on for quite a while. And then when it was canceled, I remember a lot of the articles or arguments were about like, the show's too much about this thing now before it was just about this person being silly. In hindsight, I wish I could relive that again to f- see how I, I was a kid, so yeah. I didn't know. But I, I would just, and I didn't care. I was like, I miss Ellen. I was glad when her HBO spe- special came out after that. I was glad yeah. I could see her again. Um, but I wish I could watch that through my eyes now and be like, oh man, like people were trying to make it seem like they didn't cancel it specifically because she was gay, but they were. Hmm. Now I don't I remember. That, yeah, I don't remember that. I think now the the thought is that's exactly what happened, but I I do remember at the time feeling that that wasn't entirely the case. That like it had been on for like six seasons, and like yeah. my, one of my favorite characters was just replaced, and I didn't love that. Yeah, and then then like the big there was so much buildup about the episode when she finally revealed. They referenced it like on uh, Larry Sanders' show. Do you remember that where she was on there and like? Yeah, it was a it was such a big thing that I, I it felt like Game of Thrones. Like the anticipation <laughs> was just too high. Where like how could how could that show go on and and match it and live up to it? Hmm. Anyway. No, yeah, I don't. I don't remember specifically the Ellen thing. I remember things like I remember like Pedro on the Real World being like a big deal because he was. Oh yeah, he had AIDS, and that mm-hmm. was like the whole. And you know, it's it's one of those things where it's hard to imagine that the Real World gave you some kind of social enlightenment, but you know, I think it did. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you pretty much watched him get sicker as the course of the show went on, and that was back when AIDS could still kill you. <laughs> yeah, 
Howard Howard Stern having two women kiss was like a big deal (laughs) and it was just like two strippery gals it wasn't like two I don't know if that's the same level of enlightenment (laughs) no just saying like the things we've like experienced as a first that was the first time that happened and then going into like now especially living here like there are billboards of shirtless men kissing no one thinks twice about it. Even like, I'm sure yeah. tourists come through and like take pictures and go, Hey, don't see this. Or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And I was a big film buff and I, I watched a lot of like gay cinema back then. And it's weird though, because I don't know if it's just like getting older or if it's the environment or what. And I, I try to examine myself. Like I try to like analyze myself a lot, but I'm, if there's like a, a LGBTQ film that comes out, I'm a lot less interested these days. You know, I'm kind of just like, oh, another one. And I, I, and I wonder if that's like me just becoming an old curmudgeon because when I was a teenager, I really liked particularly searching out those films. They interested me because I always liked finding an experience different than my own. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, well, why am I, is, is it because it's become too trendy or am I just becoming a salty curmudgeon? And, and you know, I, it could be a little both because I do think sometimes it's like there's too much like um you know tell not show and 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 the way that these things are being written about and stuff it just doesn't feel as it it felt more interesting back then when it wasn't a trend that people could kind of glom onto so it felt like every time i would see something it felt very personal and very interesting and yeah and i don't know sometimes but but again i'm like well you're not giving it a chance maybe you need to see some of those movies and just yeah you probably won't like some of them some of them will seem a little opportunistic but some of them won't some of them be really good i think it always just boils down to who has a story to tell if it's really, yeah. really critical to them, as opposed to like you were saying, you can you can tell when someone just went like, "Oh, we we're just trying to make a movie that we could sell," whether that's just a dumb comedy. We're like, "Oh, just, you just made this premise, but this is a yeah. stupid idea." And and there aren't as many of those getting made nowadays, uh, as, as opposed to like, "Oh, I lived this." Like I'm telling a story that's for, for yeah for all you know forever. It really matters to me. And then you go, "Oh, I like this." Go see yeah. Arctic. It's so good. It has nothing to do with any of this stuff. Just so good. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see Arctic. Um, but I like when you go back and rewatch a movie that holds up with those things. Or, yeah. or kind of like Miss Doubtfire. People celebrate that in a lot of ways because like it, it really... One, it's weird that he's dressed up and like hanging out around his family as a woman. Two, it shows her as a strong woman who's able to get divorced and uphold a family and a career. And like, I don't think there'd be revisionist stuff looking back and going, they miscast this woman as helpless or needy or too shrill or too conniving or what any of the things that come along yeah. with like powerful women. I think they did it for whatever reason. She seems real. The one part, however, is when he's calling and pr- he changed the number and then he pretends to be all the calls. Um, trying to get the job mm-hmm. so she's only ever getting calls from psychopaths so he's calling and he's like I like to burn things or whatever and he, <laughs> she's like oh no thanks and then um, there's one where he calls and he goes uh, I'm calling about the job and she goes okay you've got to be good with kids and it's a boy and a girl are you okay with both he goes and, she, and he goes I forget which way this goes, but like, oh yeah, I'm I'm fine with boys because I used to be one, <laughs> and it's so like you're just like, oh, that's so cringy and weird. And this is like takes place in San Francisco. Robin yeah. Williams, who was like birthed out of that comedy scene, who was like beloved by the LGBT community and a, a friend. And well, that's like I mean, it's one of those things where it makes me wonder: is is it? Like if it's one of those things where he is a friend of those communities and they don't really mind at that time, even though they would mind today, was it really such a problem that they were making those jokes? Does it really change anything if you just outlaw those jokes or is it, I mean, I kind of wonder if we won't kind of come back to where it'll be okay again to just have humor about that kind of stuff where we just poke fun at each other because we know it's just poking fun. I think the problem right now is that people assume it's not poking fun. They assume it's malicious. Whereas yeah. like sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But right now the default is to assume if you hear a joke like that, that it's got maliciousness behind it. Whereas I think well, maybe kind of if we ever come to a point where we accept each other more, we're going to get back to a point where we don't assume it's malicious and then maybe we can joke with each other again. But I think that's a ways away. Well said. I, I do think if you really to, were to break that down, essentially what he's saying is like, yes, I can take care of your children. Um, but she's hanging up the phone and not hiring him because he used to be a man and therefore he, they couldn't take care of any children. Yeah. That, that doesn't hold up to me. So now when you watch that, oh, yeah, it's no, very that, like, Oh no, I see, I see line? lots of jokes. Like it was, I watched old school again 
Uh, I remember really liking that movie when it came out, and I was like, this movie's kind of gross, like making me feel gross. Like, I, I just, it feels like, and I remember I made the the original MASH movie, the Robert Altman movie, that was like one of the most misogynistic movies I'd ever seen in my life, and people like, oh, we're holding it to your standards, you know, even though it was made in the 60s. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that by 60s standards, this was still bad. Like, <laughs> like So, I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of old stuff that I go back and revisit, and I'm like, oh, no. Caddyshack oh. had that <laughs> recently for me, which like, it's weird when you go back and watch one where they're like the way they treat the black characters in Caddyshack. You're like, good lord! I haven't seen that in a while, but that yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> well, okay, so I I kept saying that I was we were going to get balls to the wall in World like War Two. We like to talk. Yeah, well, this is all kind of world history. This is a yeah. way the world we're living in a world that's shaping itself. Well, I don't think there's any point to caring about history if you're not going to just like, you know, apply it to general, like, you know, otherwise you just get in a bubble. I sometimes worry about that in going into academia mm-hmm. if it's going to be like, because I do feel like academics really, again, it's kind of, it, in some ways it can be careerist because it's sort of like you have to just write for each other. But I mean, you got to make it palatable for other people too. Otherwise, why are we putting in all this work if we're not going to like make it in a way that can be shared with the public? If it's just like, no, it's just we're the only ones allowed to be smart. Like <laughs> it's like, no, you got to find a way to get it out there. And smart is such an interesting concept: intelligence, IQ, et cetera. You obviously meet people sometimes where you're like, okay, well, they lack the ability to have a, a dialogue and. But like, if you know everything about politics, does that make you smart? If you know everything about well, chemistry or one specific field, we don't really know how. Other than, are you interested? Are you able to like accept information and make a rational decision going forward? I, and I was about to say something earlier that sounds like I'm campaigning for office, but I sometimes feel like I get a better conversation talking to people who aren't really into politics than I do with the people who are knowledgeable and follow the news like as much as I do, because those people seem to be more asphyxed to an or not as fixed affixed to an ideology and that's almost how they're filtering everything they read but they're reading a lot more stuff so they know things but it's sort of because they actually have a belief that that's why they're really addicted to it whereas other people who are kind of more open-minded and moderate just can't really get into it because it's so big and they don't really have like a way to go but the reason conversation with them are kind of interesting because it might seem narcissistic like oh i like them because they listen to me and they just let me tell them what's going on but the thing is they ask questions that you would never have thought of because they're kind of new to it and i and i find that when i get into new subjects is kind of my best time because i'm sort of coming into it fresh and i'm like well what about this Mm -hmm. and that's what they can kind of provide for you is like you'll be talking to them it's like well here's how i see it and you know you should look into this yourself but and then they'll be like well you said this but doesn't that conflict with that and i'm like i never fucking thought of that and then it's like (laughs) and it's like those are the only time like if i'm talking to somebody who's got kind of like a set ideology you don't really get questions like that Mm -hmm. it's more just like well let me explain to you why the blah 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 blah." yeah i i'd like to think that i am all it's like a an automobile race that anyone can get into and people just jump in cars and they take off on the track and i like to just ask any driver that's willing to stop a little bit so that if I eventually decide to jump in that race one day, I'll have a vague idea of how to steer my car, but I'm always just ever ask. I never feel like I'm, if someone starts discussing politics with me, I'll offer my two cents, but spend most of the time asking questions or just nodding my head. And and if you can even phrase your own opinions as questions, best way to do it. Because I, I, I try to develop like rules the way Benjamin Franklin had his rules for debating people, but you know how not to give offense and stuff. Cause I have a hard time with that. If somebody starts getting under my skin, I start, I, I'm a, I'm a real temperamental person. Like I don't seem <laughs> it, but I have a very short temper, but I've noticed that. Yeah. If you can kind of challenge somebody with questions rather than with statements, they're mm-hmm. much more responsive to you. Yeah. Well, it just shows that you're like, not to just show it like you're tricking them or something, but like you're, you are giving them that level of respect. Like even if they are, <laughs> yeah, it's always about respect. I think it's not even if they're, they're going on and on about how great something like trickle down economics is or why you got to always like, I will ask them from the context of like, and trying to have some historical context within like, okay, well I can see. So one that I heard recently were like Carnegie and people like that who had immense wealth and however many eggs they had to break to make their omelet, they were pretty good to their community, Carnegie Hall and libraries and things like that, mm-hmm. but they weren't necessarily interested in helping the rest of the country. Whereas they might be looked at from people on the other side of the country to be like, hey man, you've got all the money in the world, hook us up a little bit. Why don't you help us out? And their thought would just be like, no, 
have a better community and then help yourselves. And if someone were talking to me about how great the, the country used to be and how you used to be able to make all the money in the world that you wanted to and keep all of it, I would just start asking questions about like tax brackets and how it used to be, you know, in the mid eighties or, mm. you know, late seventies, like how did this top, top, top level suddenly just chip away at their tax bracket to the point where now it's when it's weird too, because it's kind of gone far in a direction I don't think was even because I, I liked the 1986 Reagan tax plan and it was passed mostly by Democrats in Congress. They kind of had to be the the, the catalyst force for it. But I was listening to Jim Baker because I, I, I thought it was interesting when Trump was running. I found like an old congressional testimony he gave in the early 90s against he, he seemed to really hate Reagan, but he, <laughs> uh, he hated the tax plan. And he basically said his theory was that uh, if you lower taxes on the wealthy, they'll keep their money, they'll hoard it. But if you raise taxes on the wealthy, then they'll invest it because they know if they're going to get taxed to death, they got to do something else with it that's more lucrative. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not a totally bad theory. But the more I learned, the more I realized, like, oh, that was just, this is what he always does. He'll come up with BS things to get what he wants. The reason he hated the tax plan is because it was really bad for people like him who cheat on their taxes. Because <laughs> it's the Reagan tax plan actually closed a lot of loopholes, and a lot of rich people ended up paying more than they ah. had before. And I remember reading an oral history with James Baker, and he was like, this was before Trump came along. He's like, yeah, a lot of people were mad at us about the tax plan, particularly the real estate industry. Like, they ah, really hated it. Because he's yeah. like, we closed a lot of loopholes for them. And Trump blames that tax plan on why his real estate industry fell apart in the late 80s, early 90s. <laughs> and so it's like he always comes up with these other stories of like I'm just trying to fight for what's right but he's really just like I gotta come up with a way to fight for what I want because it screwed me over <laughs> it's like I was cheating the system for so long and now this guy's gonna make me pay my taxes bullshit <laughs> well I wish we hadn't slandered Trump so much prior without like contextual or factual sort of things because <laughs> if someone's still listening if they made it through the slander I don't know how you could hear a thing like that and immediately cue up like a but 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 here's why he's great i, well, I yeah, like I a think conversation you where you can hear it and then go I'm taking that into account understood it is in some way um, not helping me formulate but helping me yeah. reinforce well, how i feel the problem is it's all perception i mean it's really just they see a different person when they look at him than we do yeah and there's nothing i can do about that that's yeah. the, that's what i've realized too there's like People want to believe, like, if I just, like, you know, give them these facts, it's going to change. It's like, listen, they are looking at a totally different person than you're looking at. And you're like, I don't get why. It's like, because they're not looking at the same person you are. It's literally like if you were looking at two different human beings and then trying to argue over them separately. You know how you can program a robot and you could essentially, with AI even, give it... Oh, it could never see this. I mean, there are humans that can't see the right side of looking at a room. They only see the left. And you go, how's that possible? Couldn't their one eye just see? I'm like, no. Some people don't see colors. Some people see shapes weird. Some people see things. Some people don't smell. Some people, you know, like on and on, the, the things that are programmed into us. Does it feel like a simulation at times where a certain amount of the robots yeah. were just programmed to like, when they see this dude, they see a shining statue and the rest of us see this like steamy turd and go, how are you? What are you looking at? <laughs> That's like, yeah, I mean, Obama had an interesting quote on that uh, when he was doing an interview with Michael Lewis. He said that uh, he was asking him about all the conservative media slandering him. Like, how do you deal with it? He's like, eh, you just realize it's not about you. It's like, you know, it's about something that they're afraid of. And they made me the personification of it. But he's like, it works both ways. Like uh, a lot of the black pride stuff. I don't necessarily think a lot of that is necessarily me either, but I've become the symbol for that for a lot of people. And people make people into symbols. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think that's just what I think, especially for Trump. I think a lot of it is desperation. I think there's just something that the rest of us took for granted that people were so desperate to see certain changes and they realize this is the only guy who has the ability to become president that also is interested in the stuff we're interested in. If we accept that he's a bad person, we've lost our only chance. Mm -hmm. So we have to not accept that he's a bad person. Right. We happen to be watching the Twilight episode, Twilight Zone episode where the, the small little community gets told one of them living among them is an alien. And then you know, just don't worry, relax, everyone be fine, we'll figure this out, you know, let's just be civil and rational, and before you know it, they're just, like, pitchforks <laughs> in a mob, we don't you, you know, like, and then it zooms up at the end to the, you know, the, the aliens watching them, like, yeah, that happens in every community we do this to, we do this, this is just an experiment we do, and but one of the guys that is kind of civil in, when he's watching, like, them beat their neighbor to, basically to death with pitchforks, he goes, you fools, you idiots, you're just scared, you're all just scared, there's nothing to be a afraid of let's just you know he's he's being the voice of like if you could have just played that to everyone <laughs> who, who joined nazism from that yeah. same feeling of like it's an economic thing the the, the person
personal part of it is secondary for me. I got to get my damn job back. And then it's the <laughs> same exact thing with the Tea Party forming and then glomming onto this new kind of Trump thing. That's as limited as my knowledge goes, but it feels from a human side, very understandable. Yeah, I think it, I mean, and I think it, I, I think people take for granted. I feel like a lot of my left leaning friends get mad when I say that the left is just as capable of falling into that trap. I don't see it happening right now, but I'm like, yeah, it could. And they're just like, no. And I'm like, here, but it, how can you hear yourself and say like, no, 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 we're superior. We're superior humans. <laughs> it's like that, that is, that's a horrible thing to think like that. Yeah. You just by your ideology that makes you superior. Cause I worry that ideology is becoming much more important than like race or gender or things like maybe class. But I feel like idea cause like I've been telling people that, you know, you always hear that Muslims are the new Jews in comparison with the 20th century. But I really feel like liberals are. Cause if you listen to the rhetoric, that sort of like the liberals, this, the liberals that the sort of, uh, you know, that they're, they're anti-American and they're thought they're promoting like, you know, non-traditional values and things like homosexuality and feminism. And they're the intellectual elites who look down on the rest of us and their yeah. degenerate art. Oh, yeah, and they're, yeah. You know, and all that, like all this stuff they said about Jews really <laughs> applies when the same way when you listen to like radio talk show hosts talk about liberals. But yeah. it doesn't sound like the way they talk about Muslims. The Muslim stuff actually sounds to me more like Native Americans where they're like, they're these savages that are like, you know, encroaching on our land and we got to kind of get them out of the way. And because there's like a couple tribes that really are pretty bad they just assume they're all bad and so yeah. it's like you just gotta kill them all you just gotta kill them all <laughs> i like you were talking about like your friend who watches like hannity and things like that when i'm driving you know middle of the country or wherever i'll like flip through the am stations and you hear conservative talk and that's how they talk about liberals they just laugh at them they just the the feeling is <laughs> these these crybaby idiots and it, there is a dismissiveness. It's yeah. not, it's not well, like, oh, this is our rival. It's kind of like these, these And things. some of that comes from the left. And I, you know, and I try to challenge my friends on the left. I'm like, listen, I think a lot of this starts with the Reagan years because I think the liberal reaction and the press reaction to Reagan was really unfair. Like, I'm not saying I think Reagan was a great president or anything, but I, I definitely think the response to him was really unfair. And I think that kind of set the stage. Like, it, it had already been started. I think the 60s is really, like, obviously the biggest flashpoint. But I really feel like there's a... Because Reagan was definitely seen in a lot of ways as this like new breed of ultra conservative right wing Republican. Mm -hmm. And it really scared a lot of people and they kind of overreacted to it. And so I think it became a thing where it's like Reagan's a Nazi, Bush is a Nazi. So this time when they're like, they're like, how come you don't realize Trump's a Nazi? It's like you call all of us Nazis. Why should we <laughs> think this time's any different? I, I don't like Reagan because of most of like punk rock and things that I've listened to that uh, don't like him. Bill Hicks hated him, so then I hate Reagan. And <laughs> I mean, he's not, he's, not per, like, he's not great. I mean, there's, there's lots of things I disagree with. There's the audio on the 13th documentary, Ava DuVernay mm -hmm. documentary, where like, his advisor, someone's just saying the oh, N-word a bunch. No, I know. What you, oh, oh, no, that's Lee Atwater. I, I thought you were going to talk about the Ehrlichman quote, which I think is fake, by the way. Oh, okay. Um, no, this is just the, someone just saying the N-word a bunch. No, no, right? that's a real one, because he's on tape. <laughs> Lee, Atwater, <laughs> Lee Atwater was a, a real piece of crap. He and was the, a, the fact that like Reagan could align himself with that, I don't and, like and, Reagan. Yeah, and it, well, here's the thing. Bush Sr. had him as his campaign manager in 88, which shocks the hell out of me. because And, and I've heard people who work with him say, yeah, he was very uncomfortable with all that stuff, the Willie Horton things. and like, I mean, I, he wasn't directly involved in any of that i don't believe but uh but i mean it would be hard to say that they probably didn't tacit somebody in his camp tacitly approved that mm -hmm. but it's it, it shocks me that he was willing to go with that but it just sort of that's and again this is this thing about like taking stock with ourselves i think somebody like bush was like well this is the way the game is played now or somebody like reagan's like well i guess this is the way the game is played now and of course then clinton is like yeah well, that's the way the game is played now <laughs> and at like some point you need to have like a, a watergate or a trump that makes people go like you know what it's not okay to play the game this way let's maybe like slow down and yeah so just every now and then you need a reset you gotta, you gotta have a reset trump's the reset or he's gonna kill everything i don't know but <laughs> it's it's so it's so upsetting that i can't really enjoy 2020 the way like my my progressive friends can because they can really feel like they're fighting for a cause and get geared up and, and i just can't because i'm more of a strategist and i'm just looking at like what what will be the consequences that was like with bush Kerry. only thing i cared about was iraq and so I saw just as many, if not more devastating consequences from Kerry's presidency than Bush's, because I felt like Kerry would be more willing just for political reasons to pull out and abandon them. And that would get a lot of Iraqis killed. And I knew Bush, for all his faults, was dedicated to the mission and would not do that. 
So it, it it's one of those tough choices where even if you don't like the guy, you kind of like make compromise. And, I, and there's a situation where I can be like, if Trump loses in 2020, it could be worse, you know, because he's not the movement's not going to disappear. Like they're not all going to be like, oh, you got us liberals. I guess we'll just shut up now. A cooling off period. Say my guy, Jay. Inslee I think it would get worse. Imagine someone. What I like about a guy like Jay Inslee, the lack of tweeting. The lack of like just the ubiquitousness, yeah, but, but that's like, not going to apply to the right. The right is going to tweet more. Their, they're going to get madder. Yeah, and maybe, Trump can rerun in twenty twenty four if he loses because there's not you're, you're seventy seven years old or something. Yeah, right but the people in his family all lived to the nineties. I looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> not <laughs> but, his brother. Well, that was different. He was alcohol. He doesn't drink though. Trump doesn't drink. True. Yeah, and he doesn't smoke either. But he does eat like shit. So maybe, maybe. and he'll be full on crazy dementia by then. Wouldn't he? <sighs> that's not going to hurt him. <laughs> it's not going to hurt him at all. You know that you're kind of like C-SPAN. I don't know how much C-SPAN. I know you listen to the lectures, but like I during the Kavanaugh stuff, I was watching. I listen C-SPAN. to some of the talk stuff too. Yeah, it's phenomenal. They have people call in, and I feel like the MSNBC crowd and the Fox News crowd should watch C-SPAN because you get everyone. They just take calls in. Particularly, this order. they should watch their moderators because that's what drives me nuts with journalists. Like I don't know if you remember that it was Jim Acosta who got. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Like everybody was like, look at how Trump. I was like, you know, honestly, if this wasn't Trump, I would kind of agree with Trump on this one because Acosta was totally just grandstanding and making a speech. And then that lady came and he'd like already asked like two questions and she was like, okay, you're done. And he's like pulling the mic away from her. I'm like, this guy's a jerk. Like I would throw him out of there. I, if he was yeah. doing that to Obama, I would want Obama to say something. I don't know. I mean, I it just it sucks that like, it was Trump because Trump's a turd, but I like. If it had been week one of Trump or something like that, I'd go, okay. But the amount of like dodging questions. Oh yeah. No, I'm not saying it excuses all the other instances (laughs) of him being disrespectful to the press. I'm just saying like, it becomes one of those things where as soon as you hear Trump did something, everybody just jumps on. It's like, I actually will like, let me watch the video. I'm like, man, this one, I don't, I, I think Acosta was out of line. I think Trump was out of line too, but I think they were both out of line. And I just wish there would be more looking at, I'm very much, you got to look at each situation individually, but that's a lot of work. And so a lot of people don't, I, I get that because I mean, I, but I'll at least like, if I don't have the time for it, I'll be like, listen, I haven't had time. Like with the Kavanaugh hearings, uh, that was during my news blackout. It's when I kind of came back in, but I only came back in after I took a Sunday and just literally the entire Sunday just devoured stuff on it and then i was like okay now i have an opinion until then i was like listen i don't really know what's happening so i'm not going to say anything yet i'll come back to you when i do you would have loved c-span i mean some people call in they go um i think they just did democrat republican independent one after another Mm -hmm. they take calls and you see some of those calls are crazy but those are fun as hell so great because it would just be someone like and typically it was very stereotypical you'd have like a democrat that would go well i'm you know i think she makes I, I just don't see how you could watch this and not find it credible. Okay, thank you. So and so in South Carolina, you're a Republican. Yeah, I think it's a frame up job. Okay, and why do you think that? Like, there's just no, there's no emotion in the face of the yeah. moderators. And why do you think that? Well, it's just too damn convenient. Yeah. Oh, so you think these events line up too too closely, and therefore, um, yeah, yeah, I think they all set it up, Pelosi <laughs> and all them. Okay, thanks for your call. Independent. Yeah. It was just they just roll through it where you're like, if you're an MSNBC person, you're mad at this person. If you're a Fox person, you'd be mad at this person yeah if you're if you're like a journalist kind of like a police officer you have to be able to have control over your emotions if you're gonna do that job Uh, but most of them don't and then they just sort of get away with getting emotional but i mean and i i can forgive people for having their moments but it's like your job should be to try and stay out of it unless you really want it to be an editorial show Mm -hmm. but like i think chris wallace on fox news sunday does a really good job of being a running a panel and doing it objectively but it's interesting because some of those guys did sort of contribute to the problem back before because i didn't really start watching chris wallace until the trump campaign came around and i was like hey there's one guy on fox news sunday who's actually not bad because i heard him on david axelrod's show and i really like their conversation but i went back and saw the full clip of him debating john stewart on his show like many years ago and i thought he was awful and it was <laughs> clearly because he just hated john stewart and he was like i'm gonna get him on the show and i'm gonna get him and i was like wait this isn't the chris wallace i know what were you doing that for <laughs> and like i don't know if you saw the thing where ben shapiro walked off uh bbc yeah, yeah. but i like i decided to watch that clip and the first part of it i actually thought he had a good point because i mean the guy framed the question like um so you support an abortion bill that will take us back to the dark ages you barbarian <laughs> and i was just like yeah you know what that's not cool man but then at the end can i interject real quickly yeah. that 
old British guy and the way that he spoke. So <laughs> I hope that stereo, it's the equivalent of like uh, if he'd been being interviewed by a this guy in Italy, it is sort of a, it was so crazily like that's still a British character that exists. And uh, well, you've said a certain times before. Unbelievable. It is I did, like a real uh, living guy. I do want him to be my white noise <laughs> when I go to bed at so night. Com- uh, it's so comforting because his blood pressure doesn't go up at all. When the, yeah. And that Shapiro guy, I didn't know him before really and yeah. then he stares at you through his eyebrows like yeah. such a creep and like, like I don't and he's just oh I don't see it of course and I loved it I thought that was great I'm not a bit yeah and I'm not a Shapiro fan uh, but I did I did like respect the fact that he left Breitbart for the way they were behaving in 2016 but I, I still just don't agree with him but when he started bringing up, but I never really, again, I didn't really hear of Shapiro before that because I wasn't listening to these guys when they were working at Breitbart before that. But he starts bringing up his old tweets and I don't remember them verbatim, but some of them were really like, I was like, oh God, you tweet, that's horrible. And he was like, oh, you just want to dig up old tweets. I was like, no, no, he's got a point. You're on there to promote a book about civil discourse. You obviously were contributing to this stuff that's riled people up for several years. And now that you've like seen the fruits of your labor, you're trying to be like, not me. I didn't do it. (laughs) And it's like, and I was like, that was the point where I was like, no, no, he's making a really good point here. You need to address that. Like you guys were part of this before you started being against it. Yeah, there's uh, this article on Yahoo News of all places where this woman was like, oh, in my neighborhood, she goes, I'm Jewish, but, you know, like, mostly by name. We don't, you know, go to synagogue. Or, but she's like, this guy has this huge Trump flag flying in our neighborhood. And I just always wonder, like, what's the impulse to do that? So she's like, I wrote this article based on that, like going and knocking on his door. And he was just like the most friendly guy. And like, oh, you know what? I just kind of do it to get a rise out of people. I think everyone's <laughs> such babies these days. And I think it's all about America and just like stop crying, play by the rules and keep what you earn. I, you know, I've been a mechanic for years and I've, I've worked with my hands and, you know, I, I, I think this is a good period for like getting back to that of like, you don't need to put your hand out for um, someone to put something in it unless it's a wrench or something to get to work. That kind of mentality. Yeah. You're like, okay, that's a very American, I get it. Like a lot of people feel that way. So she goes back like, cool, he's gonna, we're gonna do a more in-depth interview. But I walked away from it thinking like, okay, my impression was wrong and my intuition of seeing this flag is the equivalent of like my ancestors seeing like a Nazi flag. It scares me. And she goes, so I went to like do a little digging and I found his Twitter. And of course he calls Hillary Clinton the C word a thousand times. And it's like just a monster on Twitter. And she goes back. It's like, look at this man. This is you. And yeah. he's like, don't tell my son. Don't, don't show those tweets of my son. And I just thought like, oh, forget everyone forward facing can be very like, yeah, I just want to like have a civil discourse and like, let's just, yeah. So it. maybe, yeah, maybe I should revise my earlier statement that those, face-to-face conversations or when people are being fake to me and then social media is when they're like no this is the real me i'm nuts <laughs> totally i to some degree it has to be right it's <laughs> like their impulses to get where can i get this out i can't say it in public people get mad yeah. at me well that is i think that's a huge part of why people like trump is that they feel like oh we can actually like be ourselves now and now everybody's like oh god yourselves are horrible <laughs> yourselves are horrible put them back in a box yeah i think that sums it up so succinctly that it's just really brought out My- this level of people who are like damn like that was lurking underneath you know where yeah. maybe before you'd at least that person would be kind of shifty eyed or go I've had a couple fellas <laughs> and now they just kind of very proudly like yep we've all been thinking it like but yeah. I would also wish that the left would take account of how it seems like a small thing but how important it can be for people to just feel like they they don't have to be afraid to speak their mind like yeah. I know that that may seem to people like oh they're just like no it's a it's an important thing like to just feel like you can just be yourself and if people are just like eh, you're an idiot George like and that's the worst it gets mm-hmm. like you don't have to like humor them you can still just be like eh, I think you're dumb and then walk away you know I mean I have those conversations with my family sometimes like well yeah I have to say you're wrong yeah agree to disagree and it's like it doesn't have to be but people feel very frustrated by the idea that they feel like they're in a society where people like them are supposed to sit in the corner and you shut up you're not as smart as us you're not as smart as us 19 year olds you shut up <laughs> it's like but i've lived a whole life shut up old man <laughs> i was in vietnam you're a baby killer <laughs> yeah do you think this is well we should probably wrap this up pretty quickly but do you think that's a historically like part of America they're just like I'm a man I've made up my for me it's obviously it's 50-50 plenty of women calling in and being talking heads or showing up and being panelists on these shows that are very set in their ways and equally as monstrous but 
it's weird that like I've been around the block. I'm old enough to know a thing or two. I've got some opinions on things and it would be so nice to sit down with him and be like, I'm going to let you in on something. I can have my mind changed. Can you, can you, yeah. and you I feel think, free to say no, but if you, if you can, I'm open. I'm just letting you know I'm open to it. If you make some great points, I'll go. Okay. All right. What's well, like when I, uh, when I used to do like ride alongs with cops, like gang unit cops, and I was interested in that stuff. Um, there's really, I think in street culture is a big thing about respect. Like if the cops give the gang members respect, They'll actually like, you know, talk to them yeah. and you can get more, you know, that's the you know, big key with like community oriented policing. And likewise, if they give some respect to the cops, usually they're not going to get knocked over the head as easy. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's one of these things where like, I, I think that that kind of applies in many things is this idea of respect. And I think there's just so little respect given by both sides. And I think honestly, both sides are equally guilty of it. You know, everybody wants to say, no, 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 but they do this. And like, and it's one of those things too. If I try to criticize the left with people on the left or right with people on the right, the first thing they jump to is like, yeah, but the other side dot, dot, dot. And I'm like, two wrongs don't make a right. Explain, you know, defend yeah. yourself yeah. when I, I don't want to hear just like, yeah, but they're pieces of crap too. <laughs> it's like, if this guy's an asshole, that means I can be a douche. I'm like, no, that's not how you should be thinking. <laughs> well, that, what a closing point. <laughs> <laughs> I really know how to wrap it up. Uh, we can continue to do a little bonus chat if you want and talk about yeah. World War II. I don't know how long you've got. If you've uh, What time more. is it? Yeah, no, I'm not meeting my buddy till like six six fifteen. So I got time. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, we'll conclude this. And if you want to listen to more in the bonus section, well, we can continue. If you're a Patreon subscriber, there's more of that chat, nearly another hour really uh, continued. Finally got to the bottom of the world war two thing that I was kept mentioning. Apologies that we didn't get to it by the end of two hours, but some of these chats, they just, um, they wander along and anyway, hope you enjoyed that. Dave Relia was the guy's name. I always want to say Relia, but I believe it's pronounced Relia, uh, who was on the show, it seems like quite a while ago now. I'll have to get him back. We had some mead, the only episode we've had mead on. And let me know if not all the episodes are available. I know something's going on with the the hosting side where it's only showing like 100 or something like that. But this is 186, so that's nearly like half of the, the catalog. And uh, for some reason, you're trying to binge back through them or something, and you're not having access. Uh, let me know. I'll figure out a way to get them on there. I think they all probably are available online. I didn't set any things up that would put them behind any sort of wall or anything like that. But let me know, and I'll figure that out. Um, and thanks to those of you who do subscribe in the Patreon. It does help. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash David Huntsberger get access to bonus things and, and I'll also just help the show keep, keep going with, um, beer and music and web hosting and all the stuff that goes along with that. I appreciate it. I don't want to be a serial killer. I think, I just think it's funny that that's really the only reason you in theory could have for not wanting to submit your DNA, but there's something very personal about like, I just don't like everything being cataloged and on file. And it's not like every time you touch something, your fingerprints show up on some screen. But I think early on, that was if people had reservations about it, that was the thought. Well, oh, they're going to track me. They're going to know. DNA, for whatever reason, feels more like that, I guess. Like a drone would suddenly just show up. Even if you're just living high in the mountains. You, you know, I don't know. It seems crazy. But there really is no reason not to submit your DNA to the to the big the machine but for whatever reason i uh enough of my relatives have done it anyway they would they would have a pretty good idea of me being in there but i don't know i don't know what it is just everything like we're assigned a number when we're born that's weird keep it but you got to keep tracks on the track on the population is there someone out there that has no social security number they're not in the system in any way they're living out in the wilderness What's that person's life like? Do they even realize the sort of freedoms that come along with that? That's a whole different chat. But thanks again to Eric Krug. Uh, we got to hang out uh, beyond this chat. Our friend Doug turned 40. We went to Catalina Island. Uh, they were there for like a few nights. I just went for one. It was great. So fun. If you haven't been to Catalina Island, take the ferry and go check it out. It's kind of a, kind of a trip. And uh, I enjoyed that. Happy birthday, Doug. Doesn't listen to the show. But anyway, still happy birthday to the dude. And uh, thanks to Dan for putting this show together. He's going to be traveling soon, going to Japan. Have a wonderful journey, Dan. Enjoy the land of the rising sun. And I think he's going to be there for like 10 days or something like that. Maybe two weeks. So have a great trip. And um, for the rest of you, 
check in next week. We'll have more chatting, more beer, more excitement, and whatever else. If you have questions, comments, concerns, suggestions for guests, or topics, or beer, or music, you can email them to pings at thespacecave.com. Thanks for listening. This song is called Roads. It's by Rose of the West. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave.